verses 16 and 17, a message entitled Spirit versus Flesh. Spirit versus Flesh. Please stand with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read Galatians 5, verses 15 and or 16, excuse me, and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Thank you. you. May be seated. Looking at spirit versus flesh. And notice the first thing Paul mentions here is walking. Walking. He says, walk in the spirit in verse 16. Walking. So a man was celebrating his 100th birthday. And everybody complimented him on how athletic and well-preserved he was. I will tell you the secret of my success, he said. My wife and I were married 75 years ago, and on our wedding night, we made a solemn pledge. Whenever we had a fight, the one who was proven wrong would go outside and take a walk. Gentlemen, I've been walking every day for the past 75 years. So Paul says, walking. We are to walk in the Spirit, he says in verse 16. Now, that word walk in the Greek actually literally means to walk around, to walk around. And what does walking around in the Spirit entail? It means yielding to His leading. It means receiving His advice, His conviction. It means depending on His provision. It means permitting His fruit to show in us, which will promote righteous behavior and which will inhibit sinful behavior. So walking around in the Spirit, it's not... Some people would look at this and say, well, you walk in the Spirit, that's a one-time thing. No, it is walking around in the Spirit. As you go, as you're walking through your life, you walk in the Spirit. Yielding to His leading, receiving His advice, His conviction, depending on His provision, and permitting His fruit to show in you. Now, we receive the Spirit that we're going to walk around in. We receive the Spirit at salvation. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you believe He died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you. That's when God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul, you can tell as he's writing it, he's almost incredulous that these people don't seem to understand that they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 6 Beginning in verse 19, Paul starts with this question. He goes, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belong to God. So we receive at salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit of God. And we are to walk in the Spirit every moment thereafter. Again, as I mentioned, this is a continual journey. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime event. Okay, well, I was saved. I received a God's Spirit in my life, and now I'm done with that. I've already done that. No. Your salvation is a point in your life. That's a one-time deal. But then you walk around in the Spirit for the rest of your life. He lives in us. We walk in Him. And the benefits of walking in the Spirit are many. First of all, we will not desire fleshly lust. Look in verse 16. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so one of the benefits of walking around in the Spirit is you will not desire fleshly lusts. 
Secondly, if you walk around in the Spirit, you're not bound by the Old Testament law. Look down in verse 18. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Thirdly, if we walk around in the Spirit, we experience His fruit in us that is both pleasing to God and to us. You know this passage beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And so this fruit is produced coming from the Spirit living inside of us. The first fruit is mentioned there is love. This is a love for God and a love for one another. And then he mentions joy. Now joy is something that is unaffected by external circumstances. Sometimes people confuse uh, joy and happiness. If you look at the word happy, the root is happen. So something happens to you and makes you happy. But that happiness fades. Joy, though, comes from the Spirit, so joy is eternal. So you can be not happy and still be filled with joy. So if somebody does something nice for you, you're going to be happy, but that wears off. If somebody does something mean to you, you're going to be unhappy, but that wears off. So happiness comes and goes. Joy comes from God's eternal spirit living within you. Joy is here to stay. And so the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Having peace with God, peace with others, peace with yourself. Indeed, inner peace. As Paul would write elsewhere in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then he mentions patience. Patience with God, first of all, He's not on our timetable. We're on His. Now, sometimes we confuse that. We think God should be on our timetable. God should act when we want Him to act. God should do it when and how we want Him to do it. But the fact of the matter is, we need to have patience with God because He's not on our timetable. I love that song, even though I butchered it, in His time. He makes all things beautiful in His time. Not in our time, in His time. And so we must have patience with God. We know we've got to have patience with others. And we even need to have patience with ourselves. You know, it takes a long time to mature to physical adulthood. And it also takes a long time to mature to spiritual adulthood. And we all mature at different rates. Just like, you know, they say women or girls mature faster than boys do, you know, when they're growing up. But it's also true in the spiritual realm, not boys and girls... But everybody matures at different rates, including ourselves. And so we have this fruit of the Spirit, patience, patience with God, patience with others, even patience with ourselves. And then he mentions the next facet of the fruit is gentleness, which is another way of saying kindness. And then goodness. Goodness means being moral and upright. Then he mentions faith, fruit of the Spirit of faith. That's not believing something. Faith here as it's used refers to faithfulness, dependability. It's not about trusting. It's about being trustworthy. It's not that you're putting your faith in God. That's not what's in view here. What's in view is that you are trustworthy. You are dependable. You can be counted on no matter what. You can be counted on at work by your boss and coworkers. You can be counted on at church by your spouse and your children you can be counted on at, uh, excuse me, at home by your spouse and children, at church by your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you could be counted on at all times 
by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the, fruit, the faith that is in view here. And so love, joy, peace, patience, generous, goodness, faith, meekness. Now, we just talked about this Wednesday night. At prayer meeting, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is certainly not weakness. And we talked about Wednesday night, and I'm just saying that because some of you were already here. I don't want to seem like I'm being a dead horse, but uh, meekness is something that's promoted in both the Old and New Testament, but it's not very popular. In fact, there's only two people known in the entire Scriptures for being meek. Moses in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament. I'm not saying nobody else was meek, but nobody else is known for meekness other than those two in the Scriptures. But according to what Paul writes here, we should all be known, not only by our love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, but meekness. Then he mentions temperance, that's self-control. And I want to point out something else that I pointed out probably a year ago here. There's actually only one fruit of the Spirit. If you look back to verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in English, fruit is one of those words that can be singular or plural. But I will tell you in the Greek, and Paul was writing in Greek, the word fruit here is singular. There's only one fruit of the Spirit, but this one fruit of the Spirit is multifaceted. And so sometimes people think, well, I have the fruit of the Spirit of love, and I have the fruit of the Spirit of joy, but I don't have the fruit of the Spirit of patience, and I don't have the fruit of the Spirit of meekness. But what Paul is saying here is there's only one fruit of the Spirit, and it manifests itself in all nine of these ways. So you don't have this fruit or that fruit. You have the one fruit and it should look like this in everyone's life. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, uh, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. And even though each Christian life will be characterized by all nine facets of the one fruit of the Spirit, certainly all of these facets must be cultivated to maturity. And so, yes, the spirit living inside of you is going to produce love, joy, peace, patience, generous, goodness, faith. But it's our responsibility to cultivate those facets of the one fruit of the spirit. And so the benefits of walking in the spirit, number one, we'll not desire fleshly lust. Number two, we're not bound by the Old Testament law. Number three, we experience his fruit in us that's most pleasing to God and to us. And lastly, we know that we're saved. When you walk around the Spirit, you're going to know that you're saved. Now, we've got to skip over a little bit, or skip back, excuse me, to Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. But listen to what Paul writes here. He says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so if you're walking around in this Spirit, one of the things He's going to do, He is going to remind you whose you are. You are a very child of God. By grace through faith. And so walking in the Spirit is so critical for us as Christians. So walking. But secondly, Paul talks about warring. Warring. W-A-R. Warring. The Spirit and the flesh are at odds with each other. Look in verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to each other. The Holy Spirit leads us to please God. The flesh wants to please self. And so we've got a real problem here. And so God's Spirit living inside of us wants to do all the things that God loves. But the old man, the flesh, wants to do all the things that we want to do. And so we're being pulled. The Spirit is pulling us towards God. The flesh is pulling us towards ourselves. 
Now, obviously, Paul is not talking about actual skin and body parts. When he's talking about the flesh, he's referring to our corrupt, sinful nature. And here's the rough part about being a Christian. Salvation does not rid one of his sin nature. The moment you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sin nature doesn't just vanish. When you become saved, you still have the old sin nature, but then you've got a new nature that's added. You still have the flesh. That's what Paul is saying here. And the flesh and the spirit war against each other. So you've got the old man, and he doesn't vanish with salvation. He's still there, and then you get a new man. And so you've got this war going on, the old man and the new man, the flesh and the spirit. This ongoing war disrupts what we want to do. It disrupts what we want to do. Again, look at the end of verse 17. He says, because of this war, you cannot do the things you would. Because let's be honest, if we were completely in control, we would only ever do things that please God. We would only ever think pleasing thoughts to God. We would only ever say pleasing things to God. That's how we want to live, but we all know that's not how we live. Because we got that old man, that flesh pulling us one way, and we got the spirit, the new man, pulling us the other. And so this ongoing war disrupts what we actually want to do. As believers, we want to live lives pleasing to God. As believers, though, submersed in the flesh, we don't always do what we want to do. I like how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 7. It reads sort of like a Dr. Seuss book to me. In Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 18, Paul writes, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. <laughs> Sounds like Dr. Seuss. And that's Paul now. Paul was pretty far along the maturity scale, I would say. And he says, I keep doing this stuff I don't want to do. I keep following the flesh. I keep following the old man. That's not what I want to do. It's just what I do. It's an ongoing war. And this war endures until death, at which time we are finally freed from sin and the flesh. That's when we really get rid of the old man once we die. Until then, we've got the old man, we've got the new man living here and causing this struggle, this war. Each Christian life is a battlefield. In fact, Paul wrote elsewhere of a war in his flesh. It's back in Romans chapter 7. And he uses these very words in verse 23. He says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Paul uses the term war. Because each Christian life is a battlefield. It is not Satan versus God. It's self versus God. I think, I think Ken, you mentioned it last week or something, you know, uh, going back to the old Flip Wilson, you want to blame, you know, the devil made me do it. Why'd you do that? Well, the devil made me do it. Probably he didn't. It's just that old man. I'm not saying the devil's not real. He's real. But he's busy. And I guarantee he's not following you around 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to trip you up. He knows you've got that old man. And that old man's going to trip you up a plenty. 
And if that old man needs some backup, well, then Satan or one of his demons may come and give you personal attention. But the fact of the matter is that old man does a really good job of pulling us away from God. Satan will entice our flesh, but he doesn't operate it. But here's the good news about all this. This ever-present war is more evidence of salvation. A lot of times people say, well, how do I know for sure I'm saved? I'm not sure if I'm saved. I, I prayed and I invited Jesus Christ into my heart, but I don't know if I'm saved. Well, there's lots of different ways to know, but here's another one. If you experience this war, this flesh versus spirit, uh, you, you want to do the things that please God, but you keep getting pulled together. This is evidence you're saved. Because let me tell you what, an unbeliever doesn't care about pleasing God. They don't have a war going on inside of them. They just do whatever feels good. And they're fine with it. When you and I experience this war that Paul's talking about, as difficult as it may be for you, since every cloud has a silver lining, you can say, you know what, but here's some evidence. I'm saved. I've got God's Spirit living inside of me. I'm trying to do the right thing. I keep getting pulled to do the wrong thing. And that's not good. But it proves that God's Spirit is living within me. And so we see walking. We see warring. And then thirdly, I want us to look at warning. Warning. We must know how to recognize the flesh when it flares up. We've got to be able to recognize this old man when he flares up. The flesh reveals itself in unfaithfulness. First of all, look in verse 19, sexual unfaithfulness. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. These are all sexual sins and referring to sexual unfaithfulness. Whether it's being unfaithful to your spouse, a future spouse if you're not married, being unfaithful to yourself, the flesh reveals itself, first of all, in sexual unfaithfulness. Secondly, in spiritual unfaithfulness. Look in verse 20. Idolatry, witchcraft. Idolatry. You know, we don't really worship idols, per se, in our culture. Uh, we don't build up these false gods made out of stone or metal, whatever the case. Typically, we don't do that. But we must consider our devotion to that which is not God in terms of our time and money. How are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? You say, well, I don't have any idols in my house. But you may have idols in your heart. Look at what's number one in your life. Look at where you're spending your time your money. That could be your God. And then, of course, he mentions witchcraft, sorcery, literally, in Greek sorcery, the occult. And so the flesh, again, reveals itself in unfaithfulness. Sexual unfaithfulness, verse 19. Spiritual unfaithfulness, verse 20. Interpersonal unfaithfulness. Look at the rest of verse 20 and verse 21. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. I'm sorry, I lost my place. And such like. Where's the rest? Oh, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So interpersonal unfaithfulness, hatred, fighting, jealousy, wrath. A good translation of this would be temper tantrums, selfishness, 
divisiveness, envy, even murder. Interpersonal unfaithfulness. And then, personal unfaithfulness. The rest of verse 21 there. Drunkenness and gluttony. That revelings there, it's gluttony. Well, we probably shouldn't, after that dinner, we probably shouldn't be talking about that. Because <laughs> let me tell you what happened now. <clears throat> so I was the last one in line because I'm running my mouth, okay? I was really just exercising for when it was time to eat. You know, I want to make sure that I, my jaws were in good shape. But anyway, little did I know that somebody had already made me a plate. But I didn't know that. So I made myself a plate. And when I sat down, I had two full plates. Well... Mom and Dad taught me not to waste food, so I mean, so if if you didn't know that, you might have thought that preacher's a glutton. But I was just really, I was just trying to keep from wasting food. I made a plate for him. Yeah. So I ate two. I ate two plates. Well, then you had to have dessert. I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, can't pass up the dessert table. Anyway, it's okay if uh, now and then. You know, you indulge like that, but uh, certainly making it a habit, that would be sinful. But it's okay. And like I said, try not to waste food here. That's really the the main thing. But the the point of all this, the flesh reveals itself in unfaithfulness. Sexual unfaithfulness, spiritual unfaithfulness, interpersonal unfaithfulness, personal unfaithfulness. But notice what Paul says here, and the like, in verse 21, and such like, or and the like. In other words, this is only a representative list of, of unfaithful behaviors, it's not an exhaustive list. So you might look down through there and just cross over, oh, I don't do any of those things. None of those. I'm, I must be perfect. No, Paul says this is a representative list of unfaithfulness. There are more things he could have listed, in other words. He didn't feel he need to. But notice the serious part of it in verse 21. Paul concludes by telling us that one who habitually engages in these activities is not a believer. He says, I've told you in time past that they who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's serious. Not that maybe you you trip up like I did at at dinner today, okay? That's not going to keep me from heaven. But the fact of the matter is somebody who habitually engages in these activities is showing evidence that person is not a believer, is not on their way to heaven. Again, isolated incidents may occur. Even sexual indiscretion, and I'm not condoning it, I'm just saying whether it's an actual physical relationship or maybe just a pornographic relationship, these things can happen. Maybe somebody would dabble in the occult. Maybe you go to somebody's house for game night and they pull out the Ouija board. Uh, don't play that, by the way. But I'm just saying, somebody might, out of ignorance, might just, you know, dabble, trip up. But somebody who habitually engages in these behaviors is showing evidence. They're not heaven bound. Who doesn't get jealous sometimes? Who isn't selfish sometimes? I have it in my notes, so I have to say it. Who doesn't overeat sometimes? Again, if these things are your lifestyle, there's a real problem. If this is how you live your life, living in the flesh, 
You need to check your salvation. Nobody's perfect. I mean, you know, you hear, uh, you hear the prayer that I pray every week. I, I say something to the effect of, Lord, we've all failed you again. We're confessing our sins. And we're not perfect. Nobody is in this life. And so we all trip up here and there, time and again. The point is, Paul says, if this is how you live your life, though, you've got a real problem. And you need to fix it. Continual involvement. Walking in the flesh is impossible for a believer. Again, we talked about walking in the spirit. That's what we're supposed to do. But if you are continually walking in the flesh, that's not possible for a believer. It's possible for an unbeliever. It's their way of life. But as a believer, you cannot spend your entire life walking in the flesh. These people, Paul says, are not heaven-bound. And as we know, there's only one other alternative. If you're not going into the kingdom of God, you're going to hell. And so, as we conclude from spirit versus flesh, Paul says, first of all, walking. It's not a one-time deal. It means walking around, living your life, walking in the spirit. And there's so many benefits to walking in the spirit. Secondly, we looked at warring. The spirit and the flesh war against each other. Again, it's not God versus Satan. It's God versus self more often than not. And then we looked at the warning. See how you're conducting your life. See how you're living your life. Are you walking around in the spirit or are you walking around in the flesh? If you are continually walking in the flesh, doing these things or things like them, you're not on your way to heaven. You're not a member of the kingdom of God. Check your salvation. And once you're assured of your salvation, begin walking around in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Today we've had a services this morning and then a dinner this afternoon and, and now an opportunity tonight. We're so grateful for your grace. We're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for your salvation. We're grateful for your spirit that lives in us. May we walk around in him every moment of every day. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, everybody. Thank you.